0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice, but I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not a therapist. I am not a numismatist. I am not a hypnotist. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous and better yet, it's completely free so I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, let's get started. Our first question on this rainy day comes from Twitter. Dear Quinn, My in-laws are generous and have been welcoming to me and my children into their extended family. My mother-in-law is pretty passive-aggressive and has a habit of saying very pointed, often insulting, or very judgy remarks to me, and following them up quickly with a playful shove and a, oh, you know I'm just kidding. My partner insists she's kidding. I can take a joke, but these feel like a disguised jab. She has given me no reason to think she really dislikes me, and has been otherwise kind, but I believe uses this tool when she wants me to know she disapproves, or to cut me down, or even to just antagonize. I'm extremely grown up, and we don't see her often. Is it worth saying anything that won't backfire on me? Probably not. But I can give you a couple of suggestions for tools, because I know this one. My mother was this one. She'd make an incredibly hurtful, I'm making air quotes around this word, joke about me in public, leaving me with two options fake laughing, which normalized what she had done, or indicating she hurt me. Either way, it wasn't so much that she won as I lost. I'm guessing your mother-in-law waits for an audience to set off these little IEDs. Here are my suggestions. One, if you are correct, and this is for a response, treat her as you would a dog. Allow me to explain. Dog trainers will tell you when a dog jumps on you, don't lean down to chastise them and push them off, because while you see this as a correction, the dog views this as a positive interaction. Instead, you're told to turn your back to them. The party is over. Anytime your mother-in-law takes the shot, smile politely and excuse yourself. Don't give a reason. Smile, excuse yourself. What you are telling her non-verbally is... Behave yourself, or the party is over. Second suggestion. When my mother did these, they sort of worked like a drive-by shooting. You're sitting there on your front porch, drinking some lemonade, and blammo! You've been sniped. If you feel like it, take one of her shots, laugh, and then explain it to everyone. And then keep explaining it. See... She's saying there aren't any bugs in my kitchen because even bugs wouldn't eat my cooking because she's saying I'm a terrible cook. Right, Eleanor? I'm a terrible cook. That is hilarious. And keep bringing it up during the evening. You are hilarious. you just... You are so cute. If this is what she's doing, she wants to set the pace of the attacks. Make her work at your pace for a while. And when she's especially dreadful... Smile pleasantly and think, Old lady, I'm going to outlive you. Dear Quinn, Is travel to a foreign land to learn about different cultures worth going into debt? Depends what you mean by debt. Is it a month's salary of debt or a year's salary? And learning about different cultures seems really laudable, but worryingly open-ended. Some thoughts. Is there a way you could self-finance a bit in wherever it is you want to go? Could you teach English? Could you teach something else you know how to do? If you have a full-time job, is there any sort of program through your company with an overseas component? I think the experience will be something you will never regret, but I don't want you to regret the consequences. Decide on the absolute most you can spend and not come back terrified. Then plan a trip that costs about 75% of that to leave some padding for weirdness. Then, set out to drink it all in, knowing that you have made the perfect decision for you. And when I say drink it all in, that's a metaphor. Be careful about what you drink. Bon voyage! This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, Dirty Thoughts, Sneak Attack Dear Quinn, I'm more than happy in my relationship. I'm having dirty thoughts about a guy at work. I would never, nay, will never act on it for a million reasons I won't bore you with. What can I do to make the dirty thoughts go away? The human brain simultaneously craves stability and novelty each one trading off, which is the 49% and which is the 51%. You have a great relationship. You aren't going anywhere. So your brain finds novelty in a completely safe manner, which is showing you filthy movies. Our brains fantasize about lots of things we have no intentions of acting on. Didn't you ever imagine that your car had a rocket-propelled grenade installed and you could just use it on the oblivious idiot driving in front of you? Really? Just just me then? Okay. Our brains are big and dark and weird. Put a pin in that word weird. I shall reward your patience at the end of this answer. You are a sexual being. We are all sexual beings. Even people in the asexual community are still sexual beings. The Victorians were appalled by this fact. They tried very hard to police sexuality everywhere they found it, and there were 80,000 prostitutes working in London alone. There was even a guidebook to the brothels, a veritable Zagat's guide for strange. Sexuality will out. Screaming, go away, at the thought's We'll just strengthen them. If you really want to try changing the narrative in your head, if you and your partner are so inclined, maybe you create a little safe danger together, which studies have shown encourages pair bonding and livens up the relationship. Find something to do as a couple that revs the adrenaline. Kayaking, mountain climbing, public speaking. Afterwards, you might find yourself viewing him through slightly newer eyes again. But wherever you get your appetite, through fantasy or half-dome, it's completely fine. You know you're going to eat at home. Now, back to the word weird. Once in my 20s, my brain treated me to a really thorough dream where it was just me and Wallace Sean. If you do not know who that is, go look him up. I was disturbed for weeks. Whatever your brain is playing in your main theater, it's got to be better than that. Dear Quinn, I'm 50 something, basic introvert, currently single, no kids, and two somewhat functional alcoholic siblings. I have a couple of close friends that are my emergency contacts, power of attorney, medical directive. I've known both for over 20 years. 2019 has really sucked for these two wonderful people. One of these friends is my primary emergency contact, and she was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer in May. The other friend is a backup contact, and her husband was diagnosed with brain cancer in September. Neither is doing real well, and the prognosis is not good. I'm doing the best to help them when I can, but I'm also the primary caregiver for my 85-year-old mother with serious health issues. Needless to say, between the three of us, there's a lot of -of end-of-life discussion happening. Why share this depressing detail with a complete stranger? Because right now, one of the things that I think about often, as some way of distraction, is what to do about finding someone to be my emergency contact. I do have other people in my life besides these two close friends, but no one I feel I know well enough to trust with such a personal request. I'm hoping that as a person not emotionally involved with this soap opera that is my life right now, you might come up with a suggestion that I haven't thought about. It's funny this question comes up right now because we're dealing with a variation of it around here. Both Consort and I chose doctors in our 20s who were older than we were, which made sense. And now we're looking around thinking, crap, my doctor just retired— which is something you do once you reach a certain age, and I don't know why this is surprising both of us, but there you are. This is my long way around to do either of your siblings have children? You want someone younger than yourself, so you increase the odds of not needing to keep replacing someone in the job and their family, so it seems like a totally reasonable ask. If you don't have nieces or nephews, Do you know anyone in that age group with whom you have a real relationship? I mean, what size Americano is that? Venti, and could you be the person who decides when I die? Seems awkward. So to sort of quote Whitney Houston, I believe the children are our future plug pullers. Find yourself a later millennial that you trust— send them a message on Snapchat, and may you not need them for a very, very, very long time. Dear Quinn, I am a senior in college, and I have never had a quote-unquote traditional adolescence. I was, slash am, very studious and never went out or to parties. My parents continually try to get me to have fun and go out and drink. Am I missing out if it's something I don't really care about? Should I start being a quote-unquote regular college student just to make them happy? Your job is not to make your parents happy. Let me repeat that. Your job is not to make your parents happy. Your job is to figure out how to be alive, to accomplish the things which matter to you to treat those around you that you choose to have around you with decency and integrity and possibly perfect a recipe you can always bring to a potluck. You are not wrong. You are an introvert. Your parents are either introverts who internalize the narrative that this is a bad way to be, or they are extroverts who see a quiet internal life as a thing to be avoided. Either way, they love you very much, but they're wrong. You indicate you have always been this person. I want you to ask yourself, just you, is there something to what they're saying? Am I unhappy? I don't mean, organic chemistry is trying to kill me, unhappy. I mean fundamentally unhappy. If you are fundamentally unhappy with your current level of social engagement, you will change it in a way that makes sense to you Because you are studious, and you will study this problem, and you will fix it. If you aren't fundamentally unhappy, I give you permission to smile at your parents and say with absolute honesty, I'm happy. This is the life I want. Because, and I speak as a parent of a college student here, that's really the only thing we're ever asking. If they keep coming back to this, just keep giving them that answer, I'm happy. This is the life I want. Eventually, they will either believe you or they will start nagging you for grandchildren. Either way, you're fine. Live the life you want. Dear Quinn, whole family was raised Jewish, always open minded, accepting, but generally agnostic. My brother is a maniac who married a regular Catholic girl who he tormented along with his kids through verbal abuse and insane control issues. Kids turned to Jesus and now they are adults. In his quest for forgiveness, he converts to some extremist Christian bullshit. Now they are all evangelicals and pushy beyond belief, pun intended. Had to confront multiple times where they've tried to convert me. Thanksgiving involved reminders that only their family of believers gets into heaven. I said nothing. It's maddening. All contact is now limited to birthdays and holidays. Thinking about bagging them for Christmas and going to New York to see my wife's family with all our kids for the first time in 15 years. Thoughts? Oh yeah, you should definitely do it. At the very least, because you are so understandably reactive at this point that anything beyond hello is going to set you off. Visit the relatives, buy yourself a year for someone in the family to change. It could happen. Who knows, you might discover going to New York is a wonderful new tradition, or you might learn that your blood relatives are somehow slightly less annoying than your in-laws. Either way, I think you have to run the experiment. I wish you luck, and happy holidays. Dear Quinn, my dad died on December 1st, my mom in May. My kids are six and three and endlessly needy. My job is both boring and disappointing. I have no disposable income for hobbies. What do you do when life is just something to be endured? First of all, my condolences. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but you are grieving. And I suspect you're also depressed, which are two separate things. Three and six are wonderful ages, but they're exhausting ages. When my daughter was that age, I imagined myself as a generator she plugged into every morning, she getting more powerful as I slowly ran down, and I hadn't just buried two parents. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to Google... Grief recovery, and then I want you to find the group closest to you, and then I want you to go. Even if your parents' deaths were expected, even if you didn't always like them very much, death of a loved one breaks things in us, and those things rub against us until we put them right again. If there was something unfinished with them, it's all the harder to grieve and move on. I think there are several things which are causing you pain right now, and any of them are equally valid problems to start solving. But grief groups are everywhere, and they're free, so my suggestion is you start there. I hope this upcoming year is when you find your way again. Good luck. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter at Quincy. That's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at twitter.com. Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B-A-D, dot and there's a question form right there. The question can be any length, but I'm finding they work better if they're shorter. Just a hint. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. People have already started asking me how they can get a Bad Advice Fork in a Toaster t-shirt or coffee mug, and my answer to them is, hang in there, we are working on it. I also want to thank Phil Roar and Prime Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time.